This is Pete Moore. I want to tell you about a company that is going to change the entire recruiting in the Halo sector. The company's called GamePlan. We are GamePlan.com. What they do is they connect employer brands with D1, D2, D3 athletes across the country. They power the software that allows these employers to get in front of tens of thousands of athletes. If you watch the NCAA tournament, the hustle, grit, preparation, determination, and absolute desire to win embodies every athlete out there. Now you're going to be able to put your brand in front of those athletes, start to get them to understand after their college career, they can get into the halo sector, go work at a studio, a health club, fitness equipment company, supplements, anything related to this industry, they can now parlay those skills and bring it into the sports and fitness industry that we are going to have the best athletes become the best employees and create the best companies. And that is the future of Halo. One, two, three, Halo. We are gameplan.com. Check it out. This is Pete Moore on Halo Talks NYC. We are at the Boutique Fitness Solutions, the summit at the Westin in Midtown face-to-face. We have the pleasure of having Monique eat love. We're going to talk about transforming bodies, what fuel should actually go in the body, and how you're going to help change the world. So we're trying to solve obesity, diabetes, and loneliness, and you're going to solve at least two out of three. So <laughs> welcome to the show. No pressure. No pressure, no pressure. <laughs> Think big, you went to Harvard, right? Exactly. Yeah. So why don't you give us your background, which is really interesting, and how you kind of got here from investment banking and some public policy and how you landed in this passion profession and, um, you know, how that helped you kind of frame what you're doing now. Sure. I mean, uh, I started, I was born in the U.S. I went to Europe when I was just 15, 16, had my first job in Paris in investment banking and um, really was there at the sort of beginning and takeoff of uh, derivatives. So financial engineering was very much my background and uh, did that for about 14 years, left as a managing director and had a lot of fun and learned a lot. And then I had worked um, in policy. I co-founded a think tank based out of Washington uh, that was fiercely bipartisan back when bipartisanship was cool. Yes, uh, to, to really, I miss those days. Me too, um, to um, solve you know, really, com- <clears throat> really complex problems a- around economic mobility and American competitiveness. Mm. Uh, it turns out that you know we can agree on a lot of those uh, a lot of those issues. Um, and then from there, um, did a deep dive into the Affordable Care Act. Um, was really interested in healthcare, uh, and all of those things came together with the um, the launch of of Eat Love. The idea that data could really inform decisions at the same time looking at more systems change. Mm-hmm. I've always been attracted to people who want to solve the hardest problems, uh, even though it could take you know years or many years to actually start to come to fruition. And so you know what more to look at than the, the health of this country when if you th- consider, you know, the number one reason for rejection to the military is actually obesity. Um, And what I hear from physicians um, is one of the number one issues 
around fertility is actually obesity. So if we are struggling to defend ourselves or find the best soldiers and at the same time uh, impacting the sort of day-to-day of, of, of health around, you know, creating our families, this is an issue that is, you know, existential for, for us and, and globally. And it was something that I thought my math, you know, my math background and my structured, you know, structured finance and systems would be well, well applied. Mm-hmm. When you looked at doing this, did you research and say, well, look, there's other companies that are doing this, so I'll just kind of cheer them on? Or did you say, look, there's other companies that are doing this, but they're just not, they're not putting all the pieces together properly? Did, did you find that that was a frustration? Or did you say, look, I'm just going to go for this because I know it's big and no one solved it yet? I think it's a combination of both. I think that the ability for us and the type of technology that we leverage was not was not available even just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about the fact that our mobile phones have more processing power than, you know, what is it, the, the, the guidance computer that put Neil Armstrong right, on the moon. Yeah. I think you need a tremendous amount of data. I think if anything, Pete, I was very surprised, firstly, that no one had actually created this comprehensive and and overarching view that was within context Mm -hmm. as you were making these decisions. So what's the problem that Eat Love's trying to solve? We're trying to solve what should you eat, which for a lot of people, depending on their personal situation, health condition, goal, and then their own preferences could be very complicated. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's had a dinner party recently or friends over and they've tried to cook one meal can be like, whoa, this is complicated when they ask the question, you know, what are your avoidances and so forth. Add to that, and this was the other piece that I had seen around my policy work, was that last mile of implementation is everything. And so most technology, um, I I joke with my team, gets built by 35-year-old guys who aren't necessarily having to be the nutritionist in their family or having to prepare meals uh, on a regular basis for for lots of people. And I think that's why you need diversity within the coding, within the AI, within the actual product creation piece of it. But I just felt like if you're going to solve it, you have to solve it in a very comprehensive way within within context so that you have flexibility within a framework. And that's actually really hard to do. And, and even though we now have more than, you know, the largest source of dietitian approved meals out there at 7,000 recipes, and then we have more than uh, 6,000 restaurant option meals it's still something where I feel like we're at just the beginning as yeah. you build out this ecosystem that's around, you know, um, cloud computing, the ability to process tremendous amounts of data, AI, product creation that's going to drive behavior change and be it more sustainable. So I think it was just getting something practical mm-hmm. that people were just not enamored just with the technology for technology's sake, but that you would actually drive your decisions on a Wednesday night and you would be like, wow, the, the healthier choice is actually becoming the easier choice and really looking at choice architecture. So when you take a look at, you know, food deserts was, you know, one of the mm-hmm. biggest problems with, you know, and also pricing in some of these mm-hmm. markets where it's cheaper to buy a bag of Doritos and mm-hmm. everyone gets filled up. Um, one of the things I've always been shocked by is the serving size and mm-hmm. how that gets calculated. Um, 
people go into an airport and they think they're getting the healthy trail mix and then it's, you know, seven serving sizes and you multiply that by the, the number of grams of sugar. Um, that just it doesn't work for me. Or sharing, there's a sharing size of, of M&Ms, but no one shares them, mm-hmm. you know, so it's just double the amount. When you take a look at being able to tell someone, okay, here's the choices you have in front of you. You know, talk about some of the things you're doing on the website and, and things that are saying like, oh, you should eat this, not that. You know, there's that famous book of sure. eat this, not that. And then how you're taking all that data in, uh, are people inputting that in directly. You're doing some things with images. You know, talk about how you're, you're capturing the data and that turns into usable data. Sure. So uh, let's start with your, your first point, which is when you mentioned food deserts. Um, after seven years of doing this, I would say the question of what should I eat and then being able to actually implement it, we recognize that there's like that there's three issues. There's a data problem, which I talked a little bit about. Uh, there's an access problem, which as you had talked about, not just food deserts, um, but also just overall skill level. I would love to bring back very basic home economics into schools. Uh, we were just talking about home ec the other day, mm-hmm. where I like, learned how to sew and make like a tuna melt. Yeah, and, and just something very basic. How, why, you know, cut up a sweet potato, add salt and pepper and stick it in the oven. Doesn't have to be anything fancy. Right. I think about the pilot that we ran, because we started off with research grants. And we really wanted to study this issue about, again, access and family dynamics. Why is this so hard? And I still remember there was a lawyer based out of New York, Ellen, and she had left the giblets in the chicken and cooked the chicken with the plastic. And I remember she was having like a personal moment and she's like, I can't do this. And I was like, Ellen, it's okay. You passed the New York bar. Like you can cook a chicken. (laughs) I promise. Like you can do this. And there was this really gap in confidence. And that really um, stood out to me. When we think about like food deserts, I'm, I'm, again, very encouraged that over the last few years, I mean, you have 42 million Americans having some type of food assistance, and now you have the major retailers, Amazon, Instacart, Walmart, that now take EBT as part of the grocery process. Okay. So you can, if you're one of those families, you now can actually have, which when you think about transportation and sure. other social determinants of health, you, you actually have ways to get that food. When you talk about inflation, obviously we've all felt it. All of our grocery bills have gone up. One of the things that we did, and this goes back to being practical, was we um, embedded as part of Lena, which is our AI nutritionist, food waste algorithms that would look at, okay, I'm having fish tacos one night. I have so much down to the gram, how much cabbage, I need to make sure that within perishability guidelines, I've used it in a soup. That is great for the environment, but it's also really great for keeping your shopping list because no one wants the sad carrots at the bottom of the refrigerator going, oh, I really should have, you know, cooked them three days ago. Having that kind of productivity, I worked in a professional kitchen, Barbudo in New York under Jonathan Waxman. Uh, an amazing mentor, uh, and really learned that in a professional kitchen, you didn't waste food. Food was money. We don't apply any of those kinds of principles, and the average American family throws away $2,700 worth of food. That's not an insignificant amount of money, Mm -hmm. number one. Then when you think about the data, so the group that has been with us, the group of experts since the very beginning, uh, since we started, since our research days, um, have been registered dietitians. 
And a lot of people don't really understand what's the difference between a registered dietitian and a nutritionist. Um, by 2024, to become a registered dietitian, you need to have a master's degree. Right. These are experts in their fields um, who don't always get the recognition that they deserve. And they have worked with Eat Love and actually wanted to codify their own skills to automate a portion of their business. The part that they don't necessarily love doing and that they want to spend more time counseling their clients and their patients. So when you think about the use of artificial intelligence, technology to mimic human intellect, having the actual industry that you're trying to support because there's only one dietitian per 5,000 Americans. Carrie Glassman is one in, in New York is one of our close friends and she was, trying, she was doing exactly what you're talking about. She's trying to scale her. She's trying to her, scale, scale it. Scale it. Yeah. And, and we've, these professionals and practitioners generally have always traded time for money. Right. And if you want to be able to close that gap between only having one of you and 5,000 Americans who 60% of whom are managing some form of chronic disease, we need to get better at scaling their expertise. So mm -hmm. they have been big supporters of us. We now have thousands of dietitians that use our service in their own practice. That has enabled us in the amount of data and to be able to understand, in addition to, you know, we went old school and went to the supermarket for six months and weighed all of the produce and got all the, so we had to collect primary data. Uh -huh. We then leveraged manufacturer data. You talked about serving size. We then had to leverage uh, various forms. We've partnered with genetics companies, all of the inputs. And you asked about where are the source of that data. It's both observational data, it's both um, publicly available, privately available data, and then data that we've generated over the last seven years. Got it. So when you take a, you think about the, the registered dietitians, and I know there's a company called Precision Nutrition, mm -hmm. which is now providing more of a business toolkit for nutritionists to, to an extent. Do you sometimes think about your business as I want to power the people that are in, in the field? and I'm gonna get them to basically use my tools, my database, my knowledge, and, and basically streamline what they're doing and scale what they're doing, as well as I saw some of the partnerships you have mm. on the websites that there's you got a lot of channel partners also. So are you building a consumer brand? Are you building basically like the umbrella and you can kind of pull what you need from me? Sure, so we're a B2B to C company. Yeah. We okay. focus on those channels and those partners um, very keenly. Uh, we have thousands of dietitians who use us in their business already. So they have been teaching Lena over the last seven years. Gotcha. From there, we have a medical version. Um, we look at scope of practice very seriously. So we have a medical version. We have a fitness version, which has split the what should I eat in prescription from the accountability and motivation, which allows trainers to be able to provide that latter part, the accountability and motivation. And then we have uh, ability to work with health systems, uh, pro sports teams, um, gyms. And so we've launched in, gosh, we're in 500 organizations. And what I like about it is we didn't pick just one vertical. So we may power an entire transplant unit for heart, lung, and kidney transplants. At the same time, we may work with professional athletes. It turns out that Every, you know, the, the percentage of people in the U.S. and beyond who have this question of what should I eat sure. that's going to make me 
feel better, fuel my body, help my mood is actually a very large addressable market. When you think about, I used to get this nutritionist uh, email every day and it would say like, eat cucumbers and then the next day it would be eat avocados and there's a lot of confusion. Sure. What if I eat both of these at the same time? Like, is this good or bad? Or um, How do you kind of look at this and say, okay, a registered dietitian, they're probably going to be more in line or in sync with the science, whereas you've got a lot of nutritionists out there in these diet plans that, you know, there's no, uh, you don't have to submit that to the FDA when you put it up on, online, like a, you know, South Beach diet or, or a keto mm-hmm. diet or what have you. So how do you kind of play Switzerland at the same time Say, like, here's, like, the real data, and here's, like, some things that people are are trying out. So we are first and foremost evidence-based, and I think that coming into fitness from healthcare, that's something that was, um, it was a little new to me, seeing that there was a little more interpretation, should we say. Creativity. Creativity. That's a great, that's a great, uh, Pete, a great, a great phrase. Um, For us, we are first and foremost evidence-based. Secondly, we believe fundamentally that food should bring you joy regardless of your dietary requirements. So if you think about, and we are an iOS and Android app, we're not just a, a website. And if you think about the nutrition prescription and again, if you're working with a, with a dietitian, you can look at up to 90 macro micronutrients. So we're not based on just filters. And if you're diabetic, you know, if you have diabetes, what's good for you may not be the same prescription if I have diabetes as well. That's a big difference between us and your earlier point. I, I believe, and I see this every day, that the consumers expect personalization beyond our wildest dreams in our everyday life. And so they're, you know, they're they're expecting technology to even be further along than it isn't even. That That's it interesting. Is today. Someone else just said that that maybe during a pandemic, technology was so far ahead, and now it's actually behind what people expect. Yeah, and and it's like, but I think when you can add value to someone's everyday life where you have a mom who feels like a short order cook, where they're like, please don't make me have to cook four meals, or Again, you want someone who's just managing, okay, I don't I used to spend a hundred bucks on food, now I spend $140 on food. These are the kind of things that people care about, like the kitchen sink conversations. And so when you were saying before about how do you fit within this creative, there's a plenty of space to be creative against the science. Right. How you get there, your kid's allergic to tree nuts or you don't like cilantro right, or God forbid you don't eat avocado, because uh, I'm in California, I can say that, you, right. you, which is like a food group for us, when you don't like those things and the underlying nutrients that are in there, there are other paths. And that's really what the flexibility, it's flexibility within a framework. And when you were asking before about some of the other services, I mean, let's, let's be real, it's, it used to be you go see your doctor and they give you a pamphlet and they right. say, oh, you need to lose weight or you need to watch your A1C and you get this. Now it's in your pocket and it's there. You know, We make 200 decisions around food and diet every day, many of which are on autopilot. So by connecting what you should eat with the grocery experience, and that's where the really stickiness happens, people come for nutrition, but when you're like, why are you still here three years later? They're like, I come because now I have a family member that does the grocery shopping. My kids now chop vegetables. Like 
It's just that it becomes part of their of their routine. So switching over back to your your public policy side mm-hmm. and things that the government could or should or shouldn't do. Um, I was in an Uber the other day and I stopped at a convenience store and I, I picked up a Gatorade Zero. Maybe not the best thing for you, but it works for me. And the Uber driver, I said, what do you want? And he's like, a Mountain Dew, you know? And that could be probably the worst thing for you. It's like 66 grams of sugar. Do you see that there should be any policy changes and almost like penalties on that? Just like you've got a syntax on alcohol and fuel use and, or or do you say, look, at some point you just have to educate the market and the market will will learn? Or do you say, there there was another example, a uh, casual food chain um, said they were gonna make the booths bigger so they can t- accommodate larger people, right? That's that's not a solution, right? Sure. I mean, you can study the policy. Uh, Mexico had put in a, a sugar tax, and the preliminary results have been quite positive in, terming, in, in terms of driving behavior change. I think fundamentally, I believe in market forces. I mean, mm-hmm. again, I you know take the girl out of investment banking, but you're still very much you know into. Uh, the movement of the market and letting people decide. I think even educating, and and I go back to this idea of choice architecture, even educating and making the healthier choice, the easier choice, I would look at um, what's being offered in that shop. Is there other things like drink water? You know, I think Michelle Obama had done uh, in the White House for the Let's Move campaign had put a lot of emphasis on drinking water, you know, drinking water. I, I think that that would be my first, you know, my first step. And I find that everyone wants to feed their family well and themselves. It's not just education. It's actually how do you make it easier for me? And if you're having that drink delivered as part of your grocery or you're getting ready-made meals, which a lot of people are doing through the pandemic for convenience, how can you make that the healthier Right. option. I, I, I think that, you know, uh, having half my life in two different places, the U.S. and Europe, and just seeing the role of food and having so much joy, I, I just find that I wouldn't want to take that out of food uh, and make it um, hyperclinical. But I do want to make it a lot easier to uh, acquire, procure the easier easier choice, the, the healthier choice. So we'll wrap up in a couple minutes um, to get you to your, your speaking yeah. engagement. But one question I have, given how well-traveled you are, are there countries that you say, if we could just be like this country, like they've got their act together, is there, is there a role model for, for nutrition? For nutrition, I thought you could, I could say is like for sports or for like different things, like, right, right for music, for, um, I, I think, I think this idea, like I have a mantra of like, automate, you know, delegate and celebrate, like how can we use technology enabled? Um, I find, I spent many years in France. Um, I have obviously a passion, I speak the language, but even then I see some of the challenges that they're grappling with in modern day life where people want food like in an instant. And I think that everyone's gonna have to pitch in more, you know, couples where both people are working. You know, uh, I think about making that easier. So I wouldn't say there's one country. I would say there's different foods that I love. Um, But just recognizing that in a modern world, we have to take a modern approach Mm -hmm. 
but still whilst remembering that food is like a very basic part of our existence. And then my last question is, you know, being an entrepreneur, yeah. knowing that all this makes sense to you, everyone on your team, the registered dietitians, and you know it's going to be 10 years or it's going to be longer to actually say, hey, I was on the front end of this and I helped solve these problems. How do you as an entrepreneur um, and an investment, you know, and a banker mm -hmm. in the past say, you know what, I'm good with, with the pace of this marathon? Or do you never say that? No, I think as a banker, you're always like, now, 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 where yeah. yesterday? Um, no, I don't think that ever leaves you. I think that we have seen, I, I don't see the results being 10 years. I see it now. I see it every time um, we get uh, clinical results. I yeah, see fair it. Yeah, fair point, fair point. Yeah, I, I, I think you have to look at each of the milestones. And what you need to do is look back and say, you know, here's the progress that we've come. I, I consider my investment banking training um, to be one of the best to, again, that systems approach, never taking no for an answer, um, thinking that you always can, you know, what do you mean it's hard? Like, bring it on. Right, right. Like, I love that. Um, and fortunately, our colleagues do too. Um, and we have to solve this problem. And it's going to be ongoing, and it's going to be ongoing for eternity. And now it's not just going to be what we eat, but it's going to be around the environment, and it's going to be how, our, you know, our sustainable choices. So it's only going to get more complex. That's great. So we'll have all the information in the show notes, eatlove.is, eatloveis. And thank you for coming on, and, uh, you know, look forward to helping get into the halo sector and the bricks and mortar and have people work out and also eat, eat right, which is 80% of what they need to do anyway. Yeah. And awesome. you didn't ask me my quote. <laughs> and your quote, we'll do this one again. I thought the quote was progress and bring it on. Those are the two quotes. I left it out because I got to get it. All right. So, so Monique, in closing, please give us your quote of the day. My quote of the day, I have two quotes. One is a mentor uh, from New York, Julie Morgenstern, Morgan Stern, which says security and substance. So as a female entrepreneur and you're in often in a room with just the, just uh, not always a diverse group of people, you're always like stick to the facts uh, and that will see you through. And then the other one is my professor yeah. back to our uh, joint school where uh, Warren Bennis, who advised four uh, presidents, and he always said uh, leadership is a performing art. I like that. All right. Excellent. We'll continue performing. Thank you. And set the bar. And we will see you at a healthy restaurant near you. Excellent. Awesome. Thank Cheers. you.